Well, listen, if you have your Bible, let's turn to that passage right there. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, I want to read the end before we go back to the beginning. Um, just have a habit of that. I, the way I know a book is good if it ends like I want it to. Amen. If, if you want to be surprised at the end, that's all right with you. But if the book is going to end sad, I'm probably going to leave it for you guys and, and find something else. And so we're going to go to the end before we go to the beginning because this is where I found myself preparing for this, this coming Sunday. Um, really, this is two weeks out from Christmas uh, Day and getting to celebrate that. Uh, we are going to be having Christmas Eve service here at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. You'll be welcome to join us for that candlelight service uh, as well. But look to that Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 passage again. Let's read, uh, read it together. This is what the Bible says. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When I was preparing this sermon and this service for the day, this is where I kept finding myself trying to put the pieces of the Christmas story together in the ways that I would do it. There's so many different ways that Christmas could have happened, right? I mean, we, we, we have a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things that could happen. And so, God, why did you choose to allow the events of history to unfold from the garden all the way to the, to the manger in the way that you did? What were you up to? And I kept finding these words popping in my head. It was as if the Lord was saying, David, my ways are higher than yours. That means better. That means, that means, that means I'm up on the list and your, your area is not up on the list. Growing up, uh, I was swimming and you wanted your time to be at the very top of the list because the further down it was on the list, the further away you were from first place, right? And so what the Lord's saying is, my ways are way up here. My thoughts are way up here. My insides and my actions are way beyond what you can conceive. Now what's interesting is, I know that, and I know the correct answer to say back to God, which is, yes sir, amen. But oftentimes, how often do we act as if our ways are pretty good to think of too? as if God might need my opinion a little bit. And here's how we know we've given God our opinion. We don't ask him for his because I've already got the answer. Anyone ever been guilty of that? Like, God, I would have prayed about it, but I don't have to because this one is in my wheelhouse. We're saying, God, my, my ways are, are, are worth considering. My ways are, are worth thinking into. Well, let me tell you what Isaiah chapter 55 we find ourselves in verse 8 and 9 is all about. It's about placing your trust in a Messiah that has not come yet. Isn't that amazing? Hundreds of years before Jesus came in the flesh, Isaiah is prophesying in chapters 49, 50, 51, all the way through 57 about this servant Messiah who would come and be the one who restores, but also the one who offers. That's what chapter 55 is all about. It's the invitation portion of an evangelist preaching about the good news that has not yet come. Now, that's pretty amazing right there to me. Preaching an invitation about the good news that has not yet come. When we think about it, it's, it's not like promising a trip to uh, Disney World to our kids because our kids know Disney World and they've seen at least pictures of it. They just haven't heard the rumors of it, right? This is a prophet speaking evangelistically 
about a Messiah that has not come yet. And what's amazing in the consistency of God is on that Christmas night when Jesus was born, we see the words of this passage not just being fulfilled, but obeyed. And that's what really caught me and brought me into it as I, as I jumped in. So instead of spending too many uh, thoughts on my words, let's go all the way now to verse 1 through verse 3 as we jump in God's Word. This is what the Bible says. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for, for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and hear what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that, that your soul may live, and I will with everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David I mean the Lord just gives this huge thing and he says come because the Messiah will give you what cannot be bought now I want you to go back in time if you need to with me a little bit to the time when you were a child or maybe even a, a teenager and if not if you can't go back that far just go back to the time when you had teenagers or children we have a rule around our house come November, you cannot start buying presents for yourself, right? From January all the way through October. Hey, if you need a new watch band and you have the money, go for it. That's cool. Hey, if between January and October, you know, if, if I need a new sweater, quarter zips are my love language. Christy knows that. Hey, between January and October, if it's in the budget, go for it. But come November, slow your roll. Amen? because I want something to give to you. Now, here's the funny thing. If we don't think of ourselves as adults, we think of ourselves as kids. Have you noticed this is a crazy thing? Kid teenagers, this is a great secret, I'm telling you. Have you noticed that the income potential of an adult is greater than an income potential for a teenager or an eight-year-old? Has anyone ever noticed that? You know, if, if someone were to tell you as an adult, hey, would you come pick up all the pine cones in my yard and I'm going to give you a dime a piece for them. As an adult, are you like, praise Jesus, I was, I was looking for some steady income today. You might be thinking, man, that, I mean, that's not that that's not fair, but let me ask my son to do it my daughter to do it right because they need to learn some lessons well here's the deal at christmas time if my children start buying themselves presents that are on my list guess what they're doing they're not just wasting their money they're wasting their money on a product that is less than what i can afford and have prepared to give to them right and so what we don't want them to do is steal our joy, but hurt themselves by wasting what they have in order to end up with something that's not what they, what they, could, what they could receive. This is what the Lord says through Isaiah and the prophet. It's this invitation to come to the Messiah who can give what cannot be bought. Listen back in verse 1. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The, the first thing that came in my head was, was in John chapter 4, right? Jesus walks up on this woman at the well. Who has the bucket? Jesus or the woman? The woman has the bucket. And Jesus says, why don't you give me some water? 
She says, what do you mean give you some water? You're a Jew, and, and I'm, a, I'm a Samaritan. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And he says, actually, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And I would give you living water that doesn't stop. The moment that I read this, I thought of Jesus and his conversations with people. Come to me, and I will give you more than what you're searching for. You can look back to the Psalms and Isaiah and all throughout Scripture, this idea of waters being poured out, this thirst being quenched, is the work of God and His Holy Spirit filling up the unquenchable thirst that sin has caused in our life. You see, Jesus says through, through Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts. And then he says something crazy. And I think this is where the higher ways of God come into play. He says, he who has no money, buy and eat. Have you ever thought about that? He who has no money, come, buy and eat. You see, the invitation of God doesn't make sense because what, what if I was writing this passage, you know what I would just say. Free buffet. Amen? Free buffet. If you're hungry, free buffet. But God in his ways that are higher than ours says, hey, listen, you come, you who have no money, and you buy and eat. And I started wrestling with that. He says, come buy wine and milk without price. God, how do we buy when we have no money to pay? And what am I buying into? Well, first of all, he says, what the Messiah offers you is priceless. It cannot be purchased with what you've earned. See, he doesn't say you who have no money just come and eat because there's something, there's a transaction that occurs when you and I come to the altar of the Lord. It's just not a transaction of the physical earning, the tally marks on our list. What Jesus lays down for us here is this invitation that is unthinkable. All that you have surmounted, all that you think gives you worse, it's worthless before my throne. So drop it and come to me with empty hands and present all that you are for all that I am. How do we buy money without price? By accepting the invitation to abandon our gods to follow the God of creation. I mean, I used to love going out with my granddad on, on Christmas. We would drive to Alabama and we would stay with him. And, and one day at Christmas, our favorite little local store, Shambos, was going out of business. And everything at Shambos was on, on clearance. And you would go in with granddaddy. And, and my granddad was a retired teacher rolling in the dough. You with me? Rolling in it. And, and when you went in, I had no money. But because I came with him, the invitation to provide what I couldn't do, it always came out. 
You see, what was out of reach for me became in reach because I followed and came with him. What the Lord says through Isaiah is that, the, that what will quench our thirst, that life, that, that, that fulfillment, that Messiah, what he offers is priceless. It's not garbage. It's not cheap grace. But you can't buy it with what you earn. This is a little defeating to our American mind, isn't it? Look, listen, the Lord knew that you and I would live in Texas right here and right now. How do I know that? Look at verse 2. Why do you spend money for that which isn't bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. You see, the Lord knows that you and I like to earn it, right? Connor and I having this conversation just the other day that when we earn something, we take better care of it, right? We do. When we, when we have our, our first car that we bought, my 1989 Chevy Sprint, $825, right? I earned it, so I'm going to take care of it, right? In 2010, I won a Prius, a brand new car. I didn't earn it. Guess which car was more valuable? Not the 89 Chevy Sprint. If you go look at the blue book value now, I think, I think they will pay you to take it. Like I think it's got negative worth. But, but we in our life like to earn things. And so what happens is we are tempted to cheapen grace. We are, we are tempted we are tempted to deny the gifting of God. You see, all year long, we want to earn it, but on Christmas, as a parent, what do we love to do? We love to give it. You see, the higher ways and the thoughts of God say this to our mentality of earning it. That when we work, we work faithfully unto the Lord, not to earn it. When we, when we sow, we sow faithfully un, unto the Lord, not to prove ourselves. When we, when we labor, we labor to the glory of God, not to increase our bank accounts. Because what we are collecting is worthless to buy what matters. Here's the higher way of God. If that is the truth of God's ways... When your crops are bare and your bank accounts are empty and your relationships are strained, that has no impact on the fullness of life that you are called to in the invitation of the Lord. You see, we've made our hands idols. We've made our minds into God's and God says why do you waste why do you waste what I have given you on what won't satisfy you when the invitation of the Savior is to come everyone who thirsts and delight in priceless life which you cannot earn on your own so how 
How, how does this happen? How, how do we go from, from just knowing the invitation comes to actually following through on it? Because I think that's the key a lot of times is, Lord, I know what you have for me is not cheap grace. God, I know what you've provided for me has a value beyond what I can earn. But if I don't earn it, what do I do? Do I just sit here and wait? If you fulfill and walk through all the pages of God's word, do you know how many people God calls to live as an example by doing nothing? Zero. There's not a single soul in scripture that God calls to follow him by being a lump on a log. So how do we do this? The first thing that we do after he says come is that we listen. Go back to verse three with me. This is what the Bible says. Verse two, kind of halfway through in verse three. It says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food and climb your ear. Come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See church, the way that we come is that we listen. That's the beginning. Because life is secured in the Savior's word. Jesus is not peddling some Ponzi scheme, amen? Jesus is not trying to make you get richer with money that cannot buy what matters. To preach that is to preach another gospel. But what God says instead is, why don't you listen to me and in me you will delight in the riches of what I offer. The rich food, not that we purchase, but what he offers. He says, don't be satisfied with secondhand satisfaction. But instead, if you listen to me, I'll provide with you the joy that will fill your soul beyond what you can imagine. Come and listen. Luke chapter 2 popped into my mind about this point. A bunch of stinky men who probably haven't showered in a long time, sitting around a campfire with sheep huddled up in the cave. Stinky men, hot, sweaty sheep. Sounds like a wonderful group, right? These are outcasts and nobodies. They're not the wealthy men in town. They work for the wealthy man. Luke chapter 2, the Bible says this, that the angels appeared. They gave them the good news of Jesus Christ being born. And they told them how to find them. Listen to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see the things that have been made known to us. Church, if they would not have listened to the angels' instruction, they would have not been able to come. If they would have been so busy saying, pardon me, God, I don't, I don't have time for your revelation today, then they would have not tasted the richness of the Messiah's presence in their life. If they would have been diligent to the things on their list, if they would have been faithful to the plans that they have made, then they would not have been able to feast on Jesus' presence. Church, this morning, do you listen to the Lord? 
reading this week, I read a statement that, that changed the way that I perceived coming into the presence of God. You see, listening to God is not a at-your-pleasure kind of thing, but it's at His presence. You see, in our democracy that we live in, I think we're tempted that every time Jesus or the Lord, the Spirit show up, we treat him as if a visiting dignitary worthy of our attention has stepped into the room. And we're willing to listen and to entertain until the time has passed and my democracy needs to carry on its life. The democracy that says, I'll, I'll run it by taking in all the facts and doing what seems right. But every time you show up, Jesus, you just let me know. Anytime you want to step onto the scene, Sunday morning, 1045, I'm in. But as soon as you're gone, it's back to the democratic life of me. What, what the Lord says through Isaiah the prophet here very clearly is, listen, life is found in the Savior, not in the second-hand way that you approach Him. Do you listen to the Lord? Do you delight yourself in the Word of God? Is the Word of God the lamp unto your feet? Do you pray without ceasing? Do you lay down your burdens at the cross? Over and over in Scripture, God is telling us the only way to Him is to listen. If Adam and Eve in the garden would have listened to God, they would have not followed through on their actions because what were they doing? They were not seeking Him. Look at verse 4 through verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 55. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader to the commands of the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you don't know, and a nation that you did not, that you shall did not know shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and a holy one of Israel has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him run to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Church, we have to come, we have to listen, but we have to seek. What Scripture says is the joy of the one who is before us is greater than the joy we think we're guarding, the things that we think we're holding safe. Because if we're really listening, then we will obey, we will follow, we will run after him. What does obedience look like? It looks like forsaking what I have and taking up what God gives. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Are you willing to forsake your own voice to listen to the voice of the Almighty? I was listening to the testimony of someone this week, and they said, I didn't want to hear what God says. I didn't want to be led to forgiveness. I just wanted the desires of my heart. Are you willing to forsake your voice 
for the voice of the Almighty? Are you willing to forsake your plans for the, the things that don't make sense that lead you to glory in Jesus Christ? Church, do you call upon him or do we seek ourselves? Because here's what Scripture says, and this is true. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. The shepherds that night, they had an option. The, the glory of the Lord had appeared around the angels. Their voice had trembled. They have proclaimed the good news of the Messiah's coming. But no one made the shepherds go. They could have said, we have a job to do. They could have said, I've made commitments in my life. I can't abandon this for that. We'll go tomorrow. That way our boss can be pleased with us. But if they would have waited to tomorrow, would they have found the babe? Would they have feasted at the table of the Almighty? If they would have lingered and, and said, you know what? One of you can go a little bit later on, but you're risking everything by abandoning your post. One would have seen and given glory, but the rest would have gone hungry. The Christmas story isn't the discovery of a baby in a manger. It's the prophecy of God saying, come, the Messiah offers what you cannot obtain. Listen so that you may seek. Go so that you may obey. Church, this Christmas, you and I are going to be tempted with a ton of things on our list. You've got houses to decorate. We've got overtime to serve and make so that we can have a little bit of extra presence. We've got goodies to bake and schedules to keep. But this Christmas, if we go into the Word and listen, then the feast at your home will be greater than anything you're planning. Are you discovering Christmas now? Or have you already discovered it and you don't need to go see again like Jesus is a cheap attraction? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. He who has no money come and buy and eat come and buy wine and milk without money without price listen diligently to me and eat what is good delight yourselves in the rich food church that is the invitation of the savior not that you have to earn it not that you have to conquer something to get there in fact it's the opposite you have to stop fighting for what you're trying to obtain so that you can have joy that is higher than anything you can conceive of for yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we come to you this morning confessing, Lord, we like to earn it. 
Lord, believing in our heart that, that although we know you have higher things, God, we, we, we think pretty highly of our opinions and our passions. And yet, Father God, you call us away from second-hand prizes to the riches that will fill us forever. Lord God, if there's anyone in this room or that is, that is with us online right now, Father God, I pray that, that, that they would listen and say, have I ever come to you? Or, or have I ever come to you not trying to impress you, God, but just to delight in who you are? Father God, I pray that that invitation would go out. That they would hear today that the good news is that a Savior was born so that we could come. But Father God, this morning, as a church and as a people, Lord, let us come to you abandoning everything. Let us abandon our plans. Let us abandon our passions. Let us abandon our desires. Let us abandon our identity, God, so that you may reveal to us who you have called us and made us to be by the life of Jesus Christ, your Son. In your name, amen.